Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone, the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. There are a lot of interesting people out there, and these are some of their stories. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Joe Schuldice. He's a husband, father, graphic designer, and cricket farmer. About four years ago, Joe and his family, who were then living in Brooklyn, New York, sold everything, bought an Airstream, and hit the road for a year. This is his story. You good? I love it. All right. Where are you? Are you in your kitchen? Uh, the kitchen's like over here. Yeah. I'm in like kind of the living room. It's one big room. There's no, don't draw, oh, arti- over there. don't draw artificial distinctions between the kitchen and like the dining room. You're so stuff. fluid. Bob. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to be boxed in by like, you know, people's preconceptions of what room I'm in. All right. So let's get started. Shall we? Okay, let's go. So I wanted to talk about what well, the first thing I wanted to talk about was something that I think actually you and I have not talked about enough. And something that I think is sort of a fascinating aspect of your life, because you're one of the few, I mean, in terms of people that I know, you're the only person that I know that has actually like pulled it off and sort of lived that dream of just getting rid of everything, buying an RV and hitting the road for a year, right? <laughs> so how long were you guys on the road for? <clears throat> Just under a year. I think we call it a year, but I think technically it was like 11 months, 10, 11 months. Right, okay. And so how yeah, does that, like, like, like I think probably the best place to start, <clears throat> or the part that I'm sort of most interested in is how does that end? Like when you're coming to the end of that 11 months, what is that? look like like are you sort of happy to get off the road are you anxious about it are you like oh i'm gonna miss this what does it feel like to sort of stop after spending a year moving start at the end um you know the funny thing is and it's hard even to say this now like in so this was it ended um i guess three years so this is like three years out from that and Right now, I feel like my perspective would be totally different. But at the time, we were totally ready for it to be over. And not because we wanted to end it, but we were, if you think about it as like a chapter, like whatever, you you know, like, especially like, I feel like in grade school and stuff, it's like, um, it's so easy. Everything is so segmented, right? September to, to June, that's like, you really think of that as a period, you get a little break, you do it again, right? And so like, and then after school, I feel like it becomes hard after like, whatever, if you go through to high school, if you go through a, to do a degree or something like that, once that structure's done, it can be really hard. Like you get a job and all of a sudden you're three years into a job and it's like just one big blur and like, um, so anyways, but if thinking about, to come back to like the, the chapter thing. So like the beginning of that being a chapter, the beginning of the trip, uh, I loved it. My wife, I think we all loved it. It's just, as we are on that, I mean, when we began that, we thought we would be leaving New York, coming back to Toronto and very much doing the same thing that we were doing in New York. I would get another design job. My wife would continue. Christine would continue painting and, and we just do it in Toronto, right? And then over the course of the trip though, and like the further we got away from, from uh, Brooklyn and like some semblance of reality, I guess, uh, other ideas came in and we were like, oh, why would, why would we do that? Like a lot of the reason 
we're leaving Brooklyn. These are going to be the same. We're just going to be putting the key in the same ignition. It's probably going to be a little easier because, you know, there's like family support and it's like, uh, like Toronto's like a, a milder version of New York City, let's say. But like at its core, it's kind of the same thing, like get a big mortgage, get a job to feed the mortgage. And so we started thinking of other things. And so in the course of that was the cricket farm. And because of that, we got so excited that really the last couple of months were just kind of like finishing this trip was really impeding getting that started. So that's what the feeling was. It wasn't to end the trip. It was just to like start that next thing that we were really excited about. Nice. And so I guess for people who don't know, so you, your wife, Christine, who's an artist and uh, your two kids went on the road, right? And so how old yeah. were the kids when you, how old were the kids when you left, <laughs> when so, you started? Uh, Sid and Violet. So Violet was seven and Sid was five when we left. So they had just to like, so Sid uh, didn't do, uh, what did he not do? He didn't do kindergarten and he didn't, and Violet didn't do grade two basically. So we did like we, in theory, we homeschooled them or road schooled them or unschooled them or. Okay. Is that, is that, is unschooling? Is that like what the, what the uh, people are calling it now? Well, sure. Yeah. Did you become you part of the unschooling community? I don't know. That, I guess. And I think me. there's like active unschoolers that really like abide by a theory. And then there's unschoolers, I think, which are really like parents who think they're homeschooling, but just don't know how to do it, nor actually realize they actually how hard it is and like how they don't want to invest their time in that. And therefore, if you call yourself an unschooler, then it's, that's okay. In all seriousness, we felt like we tried with like the workbooks and all this kind of crap at the beginning. And it literally was like sitting at the like kitchen table in the Airstream and like forcing them to like write out the alphabet instead of like going on a hike and like in in new mexico or whatever somewhere in the desert it's just like idiotic so we're like right. we're, so we're you busy. chose the hiking rightly so we chose the hike we chose unschooling it's nice. technically what it was bob but yeah that's a no we definitely chose that so yeah. it was like yeah it was really that was the over it, there was an overarching concept of just like letting wherever we were be the teacher and just whatever they're in grade in kindergarten grade two they need absolutely nothing except for just like experiences at that point in my mind right so, and so did they have like did they understand sort of what you guys were doing like did they sort of appreciate oh yeah like we're we're doing something really unusual here like we're going on this adventure which not not a lot of people get the chance to do I think so and I yeah I think so and I, I mean um I know also like yeah there were a couple funny times where like so Violet being seven she and and like super social there'd be times when we'd be like just in the middle of nowhere some little like whatever we'd be fueling up or something at some gas station and she'd of course be chatting with like the the lady behind the the counter to pay and she'd just be like oh yeah we're like uh, just on a little trip where i'm from brooklyn and all this and these people are like looking at her cross-eyed like she's delusional and then they kind of like look at us for confirmation be like yeah it's kind of everything she's saying is true so i think she loved that she loved the shock factor of it so i think that she she got a sense of that um and yeah i think as much as you could as a five and seven year old i think they did you know like at the beginning we really sat them down and kind of explained how we're this is the plan we're gonna sell everything quit everything and, and go on the road um I think even with that, though, a lot of it, it's pretty, at that time, it's pretty abstract. I mean, the concept of like not going back to your home and all this stuff is, uh, I don't know if you really grab that until you're just like, you know, it's a year after the fact and they're like, oh, we're in a new like physical home now that's not the old one kind of a thing. Right. 
And so what was that transition like? So if we sort of loop back then to the beginning, how does it unfold in terms of like you telling people like, and even, you know, from as practical as like the kids, right? Like I assume like you can't just kind of like pull your kid out of school and they, they just stop showing up. Like you, do you have to tell somebody? <laughs> there's, <laughs> to give man, a notice? there's so many weird things. It was like, so yeah, this is reaching back because this is 2017, but we sort of like, there were so many things that conspired, right? Like literally like probably dozens of things that just kind of stacked on top that eventually made it happen. And I think it was only the accumulation of that. And from mundane things as, as much as like, oh, the Canadian dollar being like really strong the uh, Brooklyn real estate market being really strong. Um, me being like four years, in, uh, four or five years into a job that I was like really feeling like it was time to change. Like those uh, literally like Gord Downey's death piled onto this in terms of like, just like a wake up call. Uh, um, and uh, you know, our, our neighbor had family members that had been, uh, her daughter, her daughter and her son-in-law had been police officers their entire careers. And, uh, you know, with plans, oh, we're gonna retire, we're gonna do this, we're gonna move to, to uh, South Carolina or North Carolina. And literally like within weeks of retirement, it's like cancer diagnosis, diagnosis and like death. And it's just like one oh, wow. of these like, you know, like that, that no one promises you tomorrow. And like, right. really there is no time. And then on top of that, we've been in New York for, um, 12 years with no plan ever of being there and just always feeling Canadian and imagining ourselves being back in Canada. And then all of a sudden being like two kids and living there. And like, if we don't actively do something, it's only going to get harder and harder and harder. So like, anyways, those were some of the things that piled on, but then we, we kind of got far down this thinking under a shelter. I think like there's a, the, a lot of fear surrounding doing something like this in hindsight, I think it's unwarranted, but for me, it was very, you know, these were major changes that I couldn't go back on at the time, but we got really far in the thinking of this because there were, at the time, what was going on, like the whole concept of van life, which I think is super cliche and like, really like it's, it's played out in mainstream and many, well, I mean, and there was the movie that just won all those awards, right? That basically exemplifies it. But like in 2017, that was then, right at the height of this it was like i'm pretty sure it was new year's day before uh the of the year before we went away we're walking from our place to basically prospect park zoo me and the two kids they're scootering crossing the street and a car hits violent like just doesn't like touches her screeches the brakes but touch her scooter and up the, oh, you wow. know, bumper yeah. and uh the screaming and the whole thing to like stop sure. and so it was like one of these wake-up calls it's like you can't there's no safety like don't don't like there's no reward for like living a safe, protected life, nor is there such a thing as a safe, protected life because this was a block from home and this was happening. Right. So why not go have those experiences, be, be, be careful about the dangers, but like, um, yeah, live like kind of that uh, was a nice wake up call as well. That was sort of like, hey, like I can justify, that was what I needed anyways to be able to right. justify it. Yeah, amazing. And, so actually just on that point, was there ever a point during the trip, like during that 11 months, were, did you ever feel afraid while you were out on the road? Like, was there ever a time where like you were in the middle of nowhere and like, you, were a you kind we of hear a lot things of at the door? Knocking. So boondocking is yeah. like where you just pull off into, it's usually one of three or four, like BLM land, which is the Bureau of Land Management mm. in the States. 
uh, kind of like all these equivalents of crown land, like Canada, we basically call it crown land, where you're allowed to go and just camp, right? right? Some of them more formal than others. So we did that a bunch. It was always a little like, you know, the sleep was always a little restless. Not that you were like fearful necessarily, but it's just like, um, yeah, you just like don't know. There's sometimes you can see people, sometimes you can't. Right. And generally, sometimes those people are amazing and sometimes they're people that are out there for a reason. And so you don't, you just don't know, I think is right. the whole thing, right? And so there was like, honestly, in the course of the year, incredibly few times. I think I was expecting more, but not that they were non-existent, but like, not really. There was a couple uh, um, campgrounds that were desolate that I was just like, we, we can all be murdered here and we're in the middle of the woods in like Wisconsin and we're definitely like, no one will find us and no one right. will know we're here. I remember calling my parents one night and without trying to freak them out, just very deliberately, we're at this, just, oh yeah, we're here. Just so you know, we're here. Like, right. Uh, Here's the GPS coordinates. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. in case. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but no, we were, we were like totally fortunate about all that stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to put you on the spot here. I just, I just want to observe. So in the kind of handful of conversations that I've had with Heather about like when we get to the point where it's like, okay, we're, we're hitting the road, like we're buying an RV and we're hitting the road. My oh, view, I've never heard about this, Bob. No, I, it's I, like I said, like, I think it's something that's maybe, I don't know if it's kind of like a North American thing. Like I kind of get the sense that this is just an inherent human trait right? Like you just want to do this at some point. Like we sort of, yeah. for us, it kind of operationalizes as, oh, buy an RV and hit the road. But I think it's kind of a, like an inbred <laughs> human instinct to just want to get the fuck out of here. Um, in any event. So my sort of stipulation has always looked like if we're out on the road, like we need, there's going to be situations where we need protection. Like we need to have some kind of means of protecting ourselves or defending ourselves and for me crossbow right like that's what that's what i'm bringing with me so i'm not i'm not trying to find out what you brought with you i just you can just give me a thumbs up because you and i can see each other on video like thumbs up or thumbs down on crossbow like would you have why do you need more than wellington that's <laughs> that's fair that you're absolutely right no he's he's good that way his bark, his bark will clear off like 90% of the intruders. And then once they get in, like he physically himself will, will deal with the remaining 10%. So that, that's a fair observation. There um, were times when, um, there, I mean, and also I guess a big caveat, I mean, Christine did a ton of research almost every year. Like there's no reason not to be fully aware of everywhere you're going into. So like, um, you know, but it's a little scary. Like one of the first times we boondocked was uh, Padre Island National Seashore. So it's like the Texas coast. There's a, I don't know what you technically call it. It's like a spit on the, on the, um, the Gulf coast there that there's like a little entrance way up at the Corpus Christi. That's, mm. a, that's a place, right? That's on the coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> really left an impression, I can tell. <laughs> From there though, you can access like this miles and miles. Um, it's all, be you're driving on a beach, there's no road, but you're driving on the beach and you could drive there with, you know, like a reasonable, so we had a truck and we were pulling a huge trailer, but like after five miles from there on, you'd want to go like a four by four kind of thing. But so we went, we only probably went down a mile or two 
But in the process of that, because it was our first real kind of boondocking, we, you know, we were on all the forums kind of like asking other advice. And a lot of those are like, you know, you kind of like, you think you understand the comment. And then like in the last couple of sentences, like just throw it out there, like, of course we have our protection with us. It's like, oh, it's like, I'm not even in that mindset. You know, it's like, right. is that really where we need to be or not? Of course we never had, you know, like we never had anything like that at all. But that was one of the scarier times too, because we're on the, on the Gulf and you could barely wait on the beach. So it was kind of a weird uh, juxtaposition of being so remote that like no one will ever get there or see you, but also that if anyone ever did make it there, it's like, it really, it was that like in space, no one can hear you scream kind of feeling where it's just like the roar of the ocean is like 15, 20 feet away from you. And you're just like, that's it. Like there would right. be no, you could do nothing. You know? Wow. So it's like point the truck out before you like go to bed, basically, and know where the keys are. Kind of. <laughs> In case you really need to jump but, out. But I'm excited about this. I want to like promote you to uh, get a van and get traveling. I'll do it anytime. I'm ready to go. But this is, so, I mean, this is part of my research process, right? Like I need to understand oh, sort okay. of what I'm getting myself into. Um, okay. And actually on, on that point, so how did your parents react when you told them? Because I mean, so for people who are listening that don't know, like you and I have known each other since we were kids. So I know your parents a little bit. Um, they've always seen, and you, like you were sort of like kind of an outdoor fan, like an outdoors family. Like you, you know, you went to camp, you went camping, like your right. dad, I remember there was a period of time where your dad was sort of, he was driving, like he was, wasn't he doing like long distance bus things? So I figured like, uh, yeah, yeah. so I feel like, you know, if I said to my mom, like, Hey, like we're buying a vehicle and hitting the road for a year. Like she'd have some kind of a meltdown. Whereas like, I, I imagine, like, I like to imagine that like the shoulders were more like, yeah, right on. And so I'm curious as to how they actually reacted. I think there was a lot of fear, like the same fear that you were uh, um, speaking of right now. And I think in the end, what happened, it was sort of presented to them as it was a done deal. So it was kind of mm -hmm. like, you can be happy this is happening or, or think it's a terrible idea that this is happening, but it wasn't, there was, it, I, I, as far as I recall, that's kind of how it went off. And so like, I'm sure there was in, in the private, like unbeknown to me, I'm sure there was a lot of like WTF, like, but um, I mean, whatever, I'm a, I'm a designer. So I'll, I won't like pretend that I'm not like attracted to just like the, um, the aesthetic of it, but it, the, the functionality was just like definitely there. In terms of like, um, you know, I think the classic RV, either pop-up trailer, trailer or bus or anything that's like, um, you know, just your classic like brownie sided thing. I think you probably more than good, more than great for like uh, using it one week a year as a family in Ontario or a person in Ontario, but we really didn't want it spend you know we had a year we didn't want to spend time dealing with problems with that and so i mean those things you can buy them ones from the 60s now that are still just like you know functioning fantastic and so they're like really they're the quality is like 100 percent there and so the airstream like was the airstream is it they, like a single we, yeah no they were on board i think they they understood it and it's right. you know it wasn't and and i think that there was a semblance of like planning and order and like, you know, like uh, reasonable thought going into it. And I think then like, I mean, 
That's great. Even if they, even if your mom says you can't do it, I mean, you're like, I mean, she. I'm an adult. Uh, I can do things. I don't. Adult. I don't need her permission, right? Yeah. Something like that. Um, I can't wait for you. I can't wait for. Uh, it's gonna happen. Tarantino, uh, Heather launch date. And so, so you took you ended up with an airstream. So you didn't do the bus. You bought an airstream. Is that right? We didn't. We didn't do the bus. And in the end, yeah. And like. And is it, you, you recommend the airstream? Like, is that what oh, I should be sort of I angling towards? It. I, I, I loved it. The um, yeah, it's like a cult following for sure. We wanted it though. Because, or is it like no, a trailer so a that gets towed? Okay, that, you had the truck and the trailer. Got yeah, it. it's a trailer that gets towed, and so that was the other thing that like led to the leaving from the the. So the bus was going to be like a converted school bus, right? Right. But then we were like, well, then what happens? Uh, for whatever reason, I always thought for sure there's going to be a 2 a.m. morning where one of the kids has some ridiculous fever and we are out of Tylenol and someone has to go into town 30 minutes away to buy some medicine or something, right? right. That was like the emergency that we needed to prepare for. And so I was like, oh, well, how, that would be terrible if you're set up somewhere, the whole bus and you have to tear it all down and then people that are sleeping and a sick kid is all driving in a school bus at 2 a.m. Whereas if you have the trailer, it's set up and someone like, you know, you have like an escape pod kind of thing. Right. So that was like the impetus behind there. Was there ever, like, was there a moment where you were like in the truck and the family was in the trailer and you were like, I'm just sleeping, like, I'm going to disengage them and I'm out of here. <laughs> no, no, we never, okay. you can't drive with them in there. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, I mean I think te technically you can. In yeah, some right, states, yeah, like you can, but I guess it's not recommended. Right. If you look yeah, in the instruction no. manual, they're like, don't do that. Okay. No, it, I think uh, like I think we really hit a sweet spot age-wise with the kids. Like, well, like uh, I mean, that age is just killer for this kind of thing. It was like perfect, you right? Know, old enough that they're funny and fun, and young enough that we're still people they want to hang out with, and like, right? So it's just it, it, like that was not by accident. The timing of that as well. Sure. Yeah. No, that must have been incredible. And so. I, know, I, I seem to recall that when you and I talked about it before you guys left, I think there was sort of a plan, a vague plan that you were going to like be both in Canada and in the States over the course of the trip. Like you were going to, you know, you're going to sort of be down South while it was cold in Canada and then maybe come up to Canada when it was cold or warm up here. Did you end up spending the whole year in the States or, or were you in Canada sort of crossing the border back and forth a bit? It was more like a big, like clockwise trip, kind of. It we didn't really have, and in general, I think that was the plan. We it's we sort of made from New York. We made a beeline to um, Albuquerque for their like balloon festival. That was like our mm. first actual real destination. And then, like honestly, this whole thing, the whole trip, and everything, like the Southwest is just designed for this. Like right. everything about it is just, and also being growing up in like Ontario in the Northeast, it's like so vastly different. It was like really 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 appealing right so we spent a ton of time down there on the west coast and then sort of towards the end of the year came back across canada i mean we dipped back and forth but um sort of came back through a little bit of bc and then alberta and kind of came back that way and then down and then well went back and forth across right. the border a couple times but it was i would say 90 percent just the states really and were there any places that you were sort of tempted like either to just stay or where you're like, oh, we're going to come back here like long-term one day. 
I think definitely like the um, I like it. I would generalize again, but like the whole Southwest for sure. Um, but yeah, they're like I don't know. I felt like every every fifth town we were trying on for size about what what it would be like. You know, it's just like I think part of, again, it's like part of the the nature of the thing. But right. um, yeah, many places where I mean Portland, we love like uh, lots of like there are lots of places that I think you love, but you know you don't really want to actually live there. Right. And is that like you love them sort of like for their physical beauty, but you realize like, you know, this isn't sort of a place where I could make a life here or what's sort of the distinction between a place you love, but don't want to stay at? Um, I mean, I'm thinking now of some smaller towns through like New Mexico and Arizona uh, that just like, yeah, they're, they're beautiful. It's almost feels like you're in an old Western or something like this, but you're like, right. it's like, I don't know, maybe to live might be too much of a culture shock. Um, Very cool. And so, so before we sort of get back to coming back home and, and what you ended up doing after that, um, what kind of, who did you meet out there? Like what kind of people do you encounter when you're driving around for a year? Like, is it, are you, it, it, I'm assuming there's, you, I mean, you sort of mentioned a, a couple of, you know, sort of communities, like, are, are, is there kind of a, is there multiple communities of people that are out there on the road or are there, is there sort of one that you can kind of tap into? Do you all move around together or how does that, do you see people, same people in different places? We, a couple of people are planned to meet up with a couple of people. There were um, a couple of well, those families that we would, had seen multiple times and it kind of like, yeah, I think there are as many subgroups as there would be like whatever subgroup you identify with, I'm pretty sure you could find it out there. So for us, it was like, I mean, so it's full timers is basically, all of these are under the umbrella of full-timers, people living in their RV full-time. Generally, um, and I mean, these people run the, it, it's everything from people that just don't have a home that are like mobile homeless to people that are, um, you know, have like $300,000 rigs, I guess. Right. But um, so for us, it was like families and almost all of the connection happens like through Instagram. So there are people are on Instagram and then it's that that's how you kind of find them and you, you know them before you know them. And then finally like meet up. So that happened a bunch of times. Yeah. And there are people we're still in touch with like to this day. Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. So there's sort some of... that have been doing it for yeah. like five, seven years with kids. And, oh, wow. um, and then, yeah. And actually also it was interesting kind of, you see like, there almost it was like there was this whole cohort like before we went on the road you know we were following a bunch of people to get tips and like kind of like they fizzled out and like oh you know you see like oh we bought a home we're going stationary we sold the trailer whatever it is and then like sort of like I guess when we started there were a bunch of other people that were starting like similar and kind of we aligned with them right and you know some of them are still going and some of them have stopped and now like anytime that I poke into those things online it's like there's you know new faces and people that are like starting up now so right that's great. And so I like that lingo. So going stationary is that that's sort of like when you're off the road, you're going, you've gone stationary. Are you stationary I guess, now? Yeah. I guess, I guess. Yeah, we are. All right. So then speaking of going stationary, so you talked about a little bit of how maybe the expectation was you were going to come back to Toronto where you're originally from. Um, and then somewhere along the line that changes, right? Where Toronto sort of doesn't seem as attractive anymore. So you're, for people who don't know, you're, you guys are in, in Owen Sound. How did, like, how did you end up in Owen Sound? Like, what does that look like? 
so I think, yeah, I think that main thing was, well, so we got the idea of the, of a cricket farm somehow on the road, this on the road. Okay. And there was, there was a real uh, before the road, but then I felt like as we were on this, like the momentum for this whole like entomophagy, like movement was building like exponentially. And we got really excited about it, visited a whole bunch of cricket farms. So we thought that was sort of what we felt like the next chapter was. And so as a part of that, we're not going to do that. You need a, you need a place to, you need like a place to do this, right? So sure. uh, it doesn't make sense in Toronto. And so we started looking kind of like in a, I don't know, one to two hour ring around the GTA of places. And we knew of like Owen Sound in this area from like relatives and stuff like this. So it wasn't a complete unknown to us, but we just, you know, we checked out a whole bunch and we were here and it just kind of, it sort of came together, I guess, really. So let's talk about about the cricket farm. So what was the word that you used? Entomophagy? Entomophagy, yeah, eating like insects. It. Okay. And so that was something you had sort of had some exposure to before the trip. Okay. Yeah. And then on yeah. the trip, it sort of crystallizes for you. Like how does, what are those conversations like? Because <laughs> um, I got to tell you, I have a lot of conversations and they never crystallize in anything. <laughs> And I have a lot of like the RV thing. Nobody's buying an I RV. Think, uh, but you now have people that will be pushing you to buy an right. RV. The um, I don't know. I think honestly, like I think you could almost wrap this whole trip, this one year trip plus the cricket farm, into one like cohesive midlife crisis. Honestly, like in hindsight. Okay. And but I was super excited about it. Christine was super excited about it. I think also so my previous like I had. I'm a graphic designer, so that's like what I've been doing. I think also there was there was a part of me that really wanted to brand the cricket farm. And I think the only way to do that authentically was really to start the cricket farm, to brand the cricket farm. So it might have just been an extremely elaborate branding project for a year and a half. But um I was I don't know. We both Christine and I both got really excited about it. Like I said, we met with a bunch of different cricket farms on the road, either a like uh, consciously or subconsciously, there was also a part of me that maybe like, it felt, you know, like a long shot thing. But at the end of the day, really what it came down to was like, if we try this and fail, I will be so much happier than not having tried it at all. And so that's that's really where, where the whole thing landed. So we're like, yeah, well, let's just give it a try. So, and then, so that's why like also being outside of like a big, like a Toronto or a big city, like the cost of living was a major um, deciding factor to be here to allow, you know, making right. some changes to allow for that kind of a risk to happen. And so are you still farming them? So because, so the last time, I think the last time I saw you in person, like I went to your your business and like you had, like it was a cricket farm, right? Like there were thousands of crickets. I forgot that you visited, yeah. Yeah. But again, like Corpus Christi, I don't leave much of an impression, I guess. Um, so are, are you still, are you still farming the crickets? So, no, it's sadly, so I mean, even at the best of times, it's a pretty, as you can imagine, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult, difficult industry to be in. Mm. I think it's, it's time will come. I, there are, there were a bunch of things. I think I might've been a little bit too optimistic about 
uh, human nature, the need for this. I mean, the, a lot of the drivers for this, like another, um, you know, it wasn't just an enthusiasm for the thing. Like when I say this, this whole thing crystallized, like this, we're in the Southwest. This is where we're in California and it's, there's no water. And it's like, you know, like we're sort of insulated from that up here where you kind of don't really think about it. It's not, it's not a scarcity. It's a future like Mad Max version of the world, but like, right is happening down there i mean there's billboards about this kind of stuff happening as you drive down the freeway and um and so crickets being like a food so i i guess that's the thing it wasn't just like a shot in the dark i mean they truly are a um you know high protein solution to a lot of problems with conventional animal protein sources at the moment um one of the biggest ones being water where like uh, pound for pound on protein you're using like a, a minute fraction of the water um to grow that protein so i was i was incredibly optimistic about it there were a couple so, so at the best of times it's a hard industry covid came the 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 things that i needed like in terms of keeping the business alive that being like restaurants that would um sell uh being able to go to um smaller health food stores meet with the managers meet with the those people face to face to talk about it like all these things were cut off um the farmers markets were all cut off which was a huge source i was coming down to toronto to to sell at the uh brickworks farmers market so like that was all done and in the first couple of months of the pandemic with no real concept of like how this was going to ever uh shake out and so um and also I was, I was disheartened because like on paper, this is exactly the kind of thing, this pandemic and the food crisis that, you know, we were just like licking at the heels of it at the beginning. I feel like the, the whole entomophagy is one of, is a part of the solution for these things. And yet when it comes down to it, that like, let's say in the States, there's all these, um, um, abattoirs that are having uh, COVID outbreaks and are supposed to be shut down and are having huge problems. Instead of like pivoting to like these new solutions, it's, it's just pump money and, and keep them alive, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was super disheartening to see that happen exactly at the time when I was like being, you know, uh, trying to figure out how this was gonna go forward. So anyways, uh, throughout all this, uh, you know, the Canadian government stepped in huge for a little while at the beginning there in terms of some rent subsidies for small businesses in combination with landlords. And in talking with my landlord, I think he just knew that like, there was not going to be money to pay rent. So he actually, uh, he, we worked together to like, help wrap up that rent. So I kind of took, I took the opportunity to lead that whole thing. Mm. And in hindsight, it was fantastic because what I was doing, and I still believe in this concept of like the small of a small cricket farms, almost like on a neighborhood basis where a community can grow its own protein on crappy land that's not arable land um, and have protein like almost immediately uh, adjacent where it's going to be considered. I still believe in that, but um, at the moment, just the, the, the whole like eating a cricket versus not eating a cricket is a big enough chasm that people don't care where that came from. And the fact that I was the farmer growing it and, and harvesting and processing and packaging and standing at the market was like, 
it was a nice to have, but it really, that the expense time-wise and financially that that added was so extreme. So without the farm, it's, I'm at, like, I've cut out 95% of the labor, I've cut out 95% of the cost. And so I still have, you know, product for sale from other people's crickets under, you know, the Yes Crickets um, uh, brand. And right. Yeah. And I think that's worth emphasizing. Like, like Yes Crickets is still around. And you're yeah. still, I mean, as recently I saw on your, on the Yes Crickets Instagram account, like you're, you're still coming out with new packaging, which looks great, by the way, those little superhero crickets, nicely done. I'm so happy with those. That's, uh, yeah, my favorite illustrators in the whole world, these two brothers, Bromind from uh, Barcelona, drew those characters, those six-legged uh, non-cricket cricket characters for the packages right. as like sort of superheroes that could bridge the gap between the five-year-old who's going to bring this for lunch and yeah. the 40-year-old who might have grown up on comic books. That's amazing. Yeah. So shout out to Yes Crickets. Check out the Yes Crickets Instagram account. <laughs> um, and also look for, in terms of like the Yes Crickets product, I've tried it. I will vouch for it. I especially liked the, uh, what was the, so when, when I tried it, you had just, there was the barbecue and then there was like the barbecue, salt and vinegar. Yeah, I'm not uh, a huge song. Sriracha Lime. That was it, Sriracha uh, Lime. That was sriracha the good. Lime was That's the good. one. Oh, man. And Dill Pickle. Those are the four I still... I'm just going to stick to those four. Yeah, Sriracha Lime, man. Mm. <laughs> I was a big fan of those. It's tough, though. I was also sort of surprised. I thought it was kind of fun. It was like a nice, also like a really nice sociological experiment in terms of the whole psychology behind eating it. And I was actually right. surprised. I knew... I thought more people would be easily able to overcome uh, their ingrained sort of fear or, or disgust. Mm -hmm. And um, there certainly were many people that, um, you know, didn't think twice of it. There were many, many people that thought it was a big deal, tried one and realized it wasn't, but I was surprised and it wasn't a huge percentage, but um, there were still people that were just like, no, never like right. i'll starve i'll die before i do this and, yeah which i just found yeah no i know because I, I i had brought some some packages back home with me and i know when i tried to kind of like offer them to people they were kind of like mm, maybe not today so but i think i think maybe the big later. yeah but like i think it depends how many beers i have um i think the big like the the hurdle is sort of the the fact that at least as you were packaging them then was you saw the the cricket right like it was like the the, the full body like it was baked but it was the cricket yeah. so yeah. whereas it strikes me that the way maybe like one option is if you could i don't know grind them up or something and so that they become kind of like a like a maybe not a, i don't know if the paste is the right word but it becomes something that and you can turn into like a chip Right, like you know those yeah. kind of puffed, like, like pita puff kind of things. Yeah. Like if you could yeah. do that, yeah, yeah. right? Because then I think you you avoid having somebody look at it and go like, yeah, but it's an insect. Um, whereas you're just like, no, it's a chip. Like what the hell? I don't even know what a real yeah. potato chip is made out of. Like sure, it's yeah. potatoes, but yeah, probably not just potatoes. Um, in any event, yeah. take run with that is what I'm saying. You can that's a freebie. You can you take that idea, <laughs> do with it whatever you want. All right. Um, so is the midlife crisis over? I'm sort of starting to think that it might just be like a way of life from this point out, yeah. actually. Yeah. All right. That's I think good. so. Uh, there's lots of talk of what's, I, I think we love it here. I think we are miss a lot of things from 
bigger cities and different places. So I think we're trying to formulate what that looks like in the future and how that fits into kids, you know? Right. I, I, I'm hoping that like, I'm trying to think like, oh, if you pull the kid out of school for a year to go do school somewhere else for a year, that would be like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I don't know, may, maybe when you're like in grade eight, that's the worst thing that can happen. I yeah. just don't really know. So, I mean, look, I, I, I like the prospect of getting you back, right? Like, so I'd love it if you guys would come to Toronto. Um, I suspect that's not what you're thinking in terms of pulling the kids out of school for a year, not like going to pull them out to go to Toronto. Um, but yeah, see, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I guess it depends on the kid, right? Like, I think for me, like at that, when I was a kid and even from when I was really young, like from when I was like, you know, like in grade four through like high school, I would have been like, there's no way I'm moving. Like that would have been absolutely that would have been a horrifying prospect to me, right? Like just sort what, of take me away from my friends and like, I got to deal, like meet new people and whatever. Right. That would right. just not have worked for me. But there's lots of kids who I bet that who were much more adventurous than I was, um, who I bet they'd be like, yeah, right on, let's do this. Even if you knew you're coming back to that same group of friends in a year, yeah, but like, you would just your be like, oh of, yeah, but Bob, you lived in France for a year. It was yeah, amazing. But, but I think the thing is it's it there's an interesting sort of time dilation thing that happens, right? Like so for us, like we're old, right? So for us, like a year is like, yeah, whatever. I've like I've seen 45 of them. Like what one yeah. what's the difference between one year and the next? Whereas like yeah. when you're a kid, like a year is a really freaking long time, right? Like things, and I think things happen much more at a much rapid, much more rapid clip when you're a kid, right? Like sort of a year of high school, let's say, there's a lot of kind of development and changes in friendships and, you know, like experiences and things like that. Much, there's a lot more kind of change packed into like a 13 year old's year than there is into like a 42 year old's year. At least that, like, yeah. I could be totally wrong about that, but that's that's sort of how I would think about it. Maybe I should have yeah. the kids on the show. Let me talk to the kids. Let me see what they think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. That's great. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk about that. That I, I mean, like I said at the beginning, it's something I've always wanted to talk to you about because, like, we had talked a little bit about how you know you guys had made the decisions and what happened out on the road and, and then coming back but uh, i'm really glad we got the chance to to sort of delve into that a little bit more deeply so appreciate it man i appreciate you thanks bob thanks, thanks bob for, thanks for being here and, and yeah we didn't get there's so much we didn't get into we got there's you know the internet's unlimited man like we can it's keep a- talking <laughs> there's more episodes a lifetime a lifetime of stories exactly a lifetime of stories well here's to the next one Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, liking it, sharing it with your friends, or inflicting it on your enemies. If you're still listening, you're probably the only one who's doing so. The secret number is 42. To claim your no prize, send an email with the secret number in the subject line to bob at bobgotamicrophone.com.